Um, just give you a little history. Two and a half years ago, December 18th, I got a phone call from my doctor saying, you have lung cancer. And he said to me, do not make any decisions in the next week. And whatever you do, don't go do something crazy like go out and buy a new car. And so um, he said, in the next couple of days, you're going to have to talk to surgeons, you're going to have to talk to other doctors, and you need to listen to them. And so on December 24th, Mary and I sat in the uh, surgeon's office Christmas Eve and discussed the surgery they were going to do. And so the, the surgeon on January 13th took out um, the middle lobe of my right lung and there was a tumor there and then took out some lymph nodes and the cancer had spread to only one lymph node. And so that was what they call stage two lung cancer. And so then we went through chemotherapy and then after chemotherapy you do a CT scan and CT scan was um, everything's clear. So um, then you start taking regularly, regular CT scans and everything's been clear since then. Um, when I was doing chemotherapy I developed blood clots and so I was taking um, Xarelto, you know, you hear all that. So I was taking Xarelto for a year, and then after a year, the doctors said, hey, you know what, everything's clear. It looks like you can go back to taking baby aspirins. And so I uh, was doing that. Come here, have a test just before I get here, just to say, hey, I'm clear, everything's good. So I tell the search committee, everything's good. So um, get here, and then if you remember, right around just before Easter, I had blood clots again. And uh, two in my leg and one, no, one in each leg and two in my right lung. And they did a CT scan then, and they said, everything's clear. Um, but you need to be on blood thinners for the rest of your life. So I'm on Xarelto again. So then they did, went to Israel, came back, and when I was, uh, got back, did another CT scan, and they said, hmm, we see something we don't like. So after a couple more scans, well actually it's a PET scan, and then they do a biopsy, and then so last Thursday I sat with the doctor, Mary and I, and said, your cancer's come back. And um, I said, okay, when are we doing surgery? And he said, um, it's too far gone. So it's stage four lung cancer, and we need to start treatment as soon as possible. And so Mary and I sat there and you sort of go, okay, what does that mean? You're, again, I'm not going to go out and buy a car this week. <laughs> um, and so he said, said to, um, he said, you know, uh, we'll check. We're doing the genetic testing to see if you qualify for immunotherapy. This is what you see on TV that's advertised. And if you qualify, the only thing is two years ago we did the genetic testing and didn't qualify but they're doing it again just to see, you know, it's new, latest, greatest, biggest, best, that type of thing. So in two weeks, I'll either start immunotherapy, and if we do, um, people are getting very good results from that. If not, we'll start chemotherapy, um, and we'll see how that goes. Um, and I'll let you know um, in two weeks. And so... Um, uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go visit my kids and uh, tell them, well, I've told them, I told my mom, that was probably the hardest phone call to make is telling your mother. Um, so Mary's actually, Mary flew up to Chicago and she's, my son was there in the summer 
working, um, doing an internship, and so he's finishing up now at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, so she's driving down with him, and I'm going to fly out and meet them in Dallas. Well, I'm going to fly to Dallas and then drive down to Waco and help him get into his uh, apartment for his senior year there. And uh, then I'm going to go visit my daughter, one daughter, Tori, and her husband live in California, so I'm going to go see them. And then my other daughter, and Catherine lives in Lexington, Kentucky, and our three grandkids are there. So I'm going to go visit her, and of course, I'm going to go visit my mom in Toronto. So we'll try and do that in the next two weeks. So I do covet your prayers, uh, especially for Mary, um, for me and the family. But I want you to know, I am so thankful to God for every moment of every day. I enjoy every moment of every day. And I'm so thankful for you at Hope Covenant Church and how you've embraced Mary and me. And God has always been faithful to his promises. We've been singing about that this morning. And his mercies are new to us each and every day. And so I want to take, make the most of every opportunity I have to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And to equip us to be the people that God has called us to be. And to help us to grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so in the next weeks and months, you'll hear me talk about SIT. S-I-T. And that means saints in training. You see, God calls you a saint. So this morning, did you wake up and look at yourself in the mirror and say, you are a saint? That's how God looks at you. And I hope that you will start seeing yourself as a saint. And the days ahead are, will be uncertain from a medical point of view, but from a spiritual point of view, I am absolutely certain beyond us, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is still in control and that he holds each and every one of us in the hollow of his hand. And I hope and pray that you may know the peace that only God can give and that it will guard your hearts and your minds from this day forward and forevermore. And so I want us to always remember the promise of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, which says that no matter what comes in our world, no matter what comes in our lives, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And therefore, let us devote ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, for we know that our work in the Lord is never in vain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Today we're going to continue on in our sermon series on the book of Acts, and we're looking at Acts chapter 15 today. This is commonly referred to as the Council or the Jerusalem Council. It is a pivotal moment in the history of the church, and what happened in this chapter has affected the way we do things today. But before we jump into this text, I want to give you a little personal history. I grew up in a family where there were certain things we didn't do, or at least we never admitted that we did them. And the thinking was that if Jesus returned when you were doing these things, you might not go to heaven. 
One was going to movies. And I think my mother was worried that if she was in a movie theater when Jesus returned, she would miss out on heaven. And so the first movie my mom went to was The Sound of Music. And she loved the, the movie, but she was so happy when it was over and she was outside of the theater because Jesus hadn't returned just yet. Other thing, and you know things have changed, but bowling alleys. For some reason, you couldn't go to bowling alleys and don't even think of going near a bar or even in the parking lot of a bar. There are so many rules and regulations that I thought that Jesus was going to be mad at me if I was doing one of these things, or Jesus was going to be disappointed in me, or Jesus was going to reject me. And that somehow transferred into this. There were things I had to do in order to become a Christian. And our text for today deals with these very issues. So let's read Acts chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 11. It says there, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on, their necks of the, putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. So to help us better understand this, I just want to go through a couple things. And the first is to understand what the real issue is here. The second thing is to remember that it is Jesus and nothing else. Then to look at the debate a little bit and then to remember what Peter said, what Paul and Barnabas say, and then what James says. So what's the issue? The issue is wrapped up in verses 1 and 5. 
And it is this, listen again to those verses. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then in verse 5, it said, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. This is a question of salvation. How are we saved? And this goes to the core of the Christian faith. We cannot get this wrong. If we do, and the apostles knew how important this was, if we do, it would mess up how we live. It would mess up our faith. It would mess up in what we put our faith. It would mess up how you pray and how you live and how you share the gospel. Think of this for a second. Jesus Christ won the victory over sin, death, and the devil through his death and resurrection. And so now, what is the devil going to do? Well, the one thing the devil's going to do is try and mess up the way you understand salvation. If he was going to do that, he would make you think that it was up to us to earn our salvation or to merit our salvation or to trust in our own righteousness for our salvation. And the devil knows that if he can mess this up, then he will mess up the way we live, the way we think, the way we pray, the way we love, the way we see ourselves in light of what God has done for us. And the devil will be able to keep us ineffectual for the kingdom of God. And so the issue was that certain people were teaching that you had to do certain things like obeying the Old Testament laws and following certain rituals in order to become a Christian. And if you didn't follow these rituals and if you didn't obey these laws, then you couldn't become a Christian. There were works to do. Works to do before God would save you. And basically you had to work for your salvation. And over and over and over and over again, the apostles say, absolutely not. And the apostle Paul would write about this over and over again. This is such an important issue. In Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul wrote, For it is by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are not saved by anything you do. You are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done and you receive that salvation when you put your faith in him. And that brings us to our second point, Jesus only and nothing else. And the apostles were quick to affirm that Jesus is the one who saves us and nothing else. And this is not only a theological point, but it's also proven over and over again by experience. We don't get our theology from our experience, but our experiences confirm the gospel message. Here is the gospel message. The apostles, it's, it goes on in, in Acts, it says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. 
Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purifies their hearts by faith. He purifies our hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting on the neck of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. And God purifies our hearts. You and I are saved. Everyone is saved because of what Jesus Christ did when we accept that by faith. And right from the very beginning, this has always been the gospel message. But it's something we have to remember over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we will always try and fall back into doing it ourselves. It is a trick of a devil. It is a deception. It is a lie of the devil. God doesn't love you. Or he's really not happy with you. If you're saved, the devil can't do anything about it. So what's he do? Make you ineffectual for the kingdom of God. And you start thinking of yourself as a sinner who will get a ticket into heaven. Rather than seeing yourself as the way God sees you, a saint saved by grace. So everyone at this council listens to Peter and Peter gets up and he speaks and he says this is the gospel message and then Paul and Barnabas get up and they tell about everything that has happened in the Gentiles how they have believed and God gives them the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders are being done and it's not because they did certain things and then God blessed them it was they believed on Jesus and they were transformed. And then finally, James, and this is James, the brother of Jesus. He gets up. He's a leader in the church there. And so you have the whole leadership of the apostles. And he gets up and he says, affirms what Peter has said and what Barnabas and Paul have said. And then he goes on to say, the way we live is a response to our salvation, not in order to get our salvation. Does it matter how we live? Absolutely it matters how you live. But it's not to earn your salvation, it's live this way because you are saved. And basically this is the rest of the New Testament. This is who Jesus is, this is how you're saved, so live this way. But sometimes we expect people to start acting like Christians before they're Christians. And then we mess it up to by thinking, if I do this, this, and this, then God will accept me. And it's like, no, you've got to understand, God loves you. When we were far away from God, Jesus died for us. Therefore, because of your salvation, live this way. It's all about Jesus. 
And if we get this wrong, we will think wrong, we will love wrong, we will live wrong, we will serve wrong. We diminish what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection when we add anything to it. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. But then we honor Jesus when we live our lives in response to all that he has done for us. Does it matter how you live? Absolutely. That's why I want you to remember the word sit. Saints in training. God calls you saints. So each morning, get up, look at yourself in the mirror, and say to yourself, you are a saint. That's what God says about you. Therefore, live that way. The way you think about yourself is the way you will act. How do you see yourself? And let me tell you, the world beats us down over and over and over again. It's never good enough. But it is for the Lord. Because it's not what we did, it's what Jesus did. And therefore, you are saints. So let's say it together. I am a saint. Okay, ready? I am. Again, I am. Jesus looks at you that way. So start living that way. And let me close with this. How we view ourselves determines how we live. Understand this. I am not a person battling cancer. I am a saint in training. And part of my training is battling cancer. And I know that all of you are going through things in your own lives as well. And that is part of your saint in training process. We are saints first. So let's live the way Jesus sees us. And may God continue to bless us now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know of your love. What a privilege it is to know of your grace and mercy. And Heavenly Father, help us to be the saints that you've made us. And thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And that nothing will ever separate us from your love. And so, Lord, to this end we commit ourselves and we ask that you would help us each and every day. And we will give you praise and glory in all things. For we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is now our privilege to...